Well, friends, we need to talk about gaslighting. I've been wanting to do an episode on the topic of gaslighting since I started this podcast, but someone recently reached out to me and asked for it. And I thought, you know, I need to get busy with this. I need to put this down on paper and into this microphone and share what I know about dealing with gaslighters. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, and that term is like, what is she talking about? Don't worry. I'm going to define it. We're going to get into it. But before we do, I want to share something so exciting. As I mentioned in the last episode, I have launched an online course. I will be teaching a live online course. And all the details can be found on my website. But it is called the No Enemy Client Conversation. And it's really designed for my people in professional services, people that are in a client services dynamic. But really, the tools are applicable to anyone dealing with tough people at work. It is a framework that has saved me more times than I can count. It's easy to remember, it's repeatable, and it is full of tools that help you stay grounded and powerful and present even when tension is high, even when you're in the hot seat, even when you've got an angry client barking in your face. So if you find yourself in those kinds of situations, get over to my website. Go to noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. Com. Or if you can't remember all that, you can't remember noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. Just go to bronwyncommunications.com, head over to the speaking tab and go on down to workshops and you will see it there too. I'm going to offer it twice live, once for my people on the East Coast and in EMEA and beyond, and once for my West Coast people at noon. So sign up for either one. I can't wait to see you. Okay. Now that we've gotten that out of the way... Let's talk about gaslighting. In 1944, Ingrid Bergman starred in a film called Gaslight, for which she later won an Oscar. And in case you haven't seen it or heard of it, the film is set in Edwardian England. So think horses and carriages and ladies with bustles and corsets and all that kind of good stuff. And its protagonist, Paula, who's played by Ingrid Bergman, is a wealthy young woman who is swept off her feet by a handsome older man named Gregory. They quickly marry and things start to get difficult. You see, Gregory has a secret plan that I will not spoil for you because the film really is worth seeing. In fact, I rewatched it to prepare for this episode. But basically, Gregory's first moves on Paula are designed to make her question her own sanity pretty quickly after they get married, right? Gaslight is a film about psychological abuse in the Edwardian age, but the behavior people, the behavior is so archetypal, so familiar that the term gaslight has endured and is a popular term even now in the year 2020. In fact, I think it may be more so now in 2020 than ever before. And far too many of us have been caught in this dynamic with no support no tools, no strategies for coping with it. Far too many of us have lost confidence, self-esteem, and momentum in our professional lives thanks to gaslighting behaviors. I myself have been a victim of it. I mean, my God, I'm still tempted to be a victim of it because it's so persistent in relationship dynamics. But I've learned how to spot it, how to stop it, and how to fortify my own mind so I'm not quite so vulnerable to it. 
So today's episode is focused on helping you become gaslight resistant, literate, and averse. But safety tip, people, I'm going to be talking about gaslighting in the context of work relationships. I do not feel equipped to talk about emotional and psychological abuse in the truest sense because I am not a therapist. I don't even play one on TV. Nor do I feel comfortable lecturing on the gaslighting that has been perpetuated against people of color in this country. I mean, listen, it took watching George Floyd get murdered on our screens for white people like me to finally believe what the black community has been saying for, I don't know, decades. That's gaslighting. That is a community that has been gaslighted by those of us who are like, oh my God, there's no such thing as racism. We have a black president. I don't feel equipped to even address that because I'm still, (laughs) I am still learning. I am still having my eyes opened to this reality. But what I will share is what I've learned about dealing with gaslighters at work and in our professional lives. So let's dive in, shall we? Okay, so why am I so interested and focused on something as dark as gaslighting as a communication coach? It's a good question, and I have a good answer. It's a very relevant topic for a communication coach like myself because gaslighting dismantles confidence. If you are being trained to question your version of reality, you are being trained to erode your own self-esteem. And as you can imagine, this has very real consequences for how we communicate. Fundamentally, if you're my client, my goal is always to help you access your most powerful self and speak from that place of power. And a big part of that power is drawn from you trusting yourself. And gaslighters, they don't like you trusting yourself because it means you have the power and the gaslighters don't like that. At its core, gaslighting is about power and manipulation. It's about exerting total control over someone. And so how does that manifest in a work context? Well, here's the thing. Gaslighting can come from anywhere your boss, your direct report, your client, your partner, literally anywhere. It could come from a man, a woman, any variation thereof. But like anything, there's a pattern that can be discerned. And that pattern includes things like lying. It ain't just for children. I'm almost done with that report when it's clearly nowhere near being done or even started or denying that a conversation ever happened when you know it did. Or I never said that, even though you remember it quite clearly. That's a pattern of gaslighting. Deliberately creating confusion around role or responsibility, making it nearly impossible to be successful. And then when you fall short, consistently criticizing or humiliating you in front of an audience instead of providing legitimate feedback in private. Or how about this one? Behaving badly and then calling it kidding around. Oh, I was just teasing you. You're too sensitive. You can't take a joke. My God, people, hear me now. Beware of the person that calls you too sensitive. Big red flag, great big, think Julia Roberts, huge mistake, big, huge. Be so on guard against people who try to talk you out of how you feel. Oh my God, I could do a whole episode just on that. But when you start to stack these experiences up, 
for the person being gaslighted, gaslit, these experiences become a pattern and rapidly take down your self-esteem. And what's crazy is how quickly we lose confidence, how quickly our courage and our resilience vanishes in these situations. And when I say we, I mean it. Humans are actually far more vulnerable psychologically than we care to admit. And in case you're skeptical about this and you're like, well, I mean, yeah, the situation is not great with that person, but like, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal and it can erode your self-confidence practically overnight. I'm not kidding. It's that big of a deal. And in case you're skeptical about this, just remember the Stanford Prison Project. And in case you're not familiar with the Stanford Prison Project, in 1971, a team of researchers at Stanford University wanted to study the psychological effects of power by casting 24 male college students, all white, in the role of either prisoner or guard. And I don't know if the whiteness was like intentional or just part of the system back then. But anyway, these 24 kids were placed in the role of either prisoner or guard, right? And the study was conducted in one of the basements of one of the buildings at Stanford, where these people were supposed to live 24 hours a day inside these roles of prisoner or guard. And it was supposed to be like a two-week experiment. Do you know how long that experiment lasted? Six days. The change in behavior was so extreme. It caused the wardens, the guards, to transform into sadists, relishing in psychological torture. And the crazy part? The men who were cast in the role as prisoners accepted it almost immediately and started to break down pretty quick. This behavior shift took place just hours into the experiment. That's how quickly things can fall apart psychologically. So take it seriously when you start to feel bad about yourself or you start to question your version of reality. It's not something to dismiss. So if you have someone at work who's gaslighting you, targeting you with humiliation or lying or getting you to question your sanity, nip it in the bud ASAP. Or better yet, prevent it from happening at all. And it's interesting, if you look online for articles about gaslighting, you'll find lots of great content on how to respond and how to deal with the gaslighter, but there is precious little on how to prevent shit like this from happening in the first place. And that is where I want to begin. I want to first talk about prevention and then move into intervention. So here are my three steps for dealing with gaslighters. Step one, prevent it. Step two, confront it. Step three, get support. So step one, prevention. Let's talk about how we prevent it from happening. The number one way to prevent gaslighting is to cultivate self-trust. Job one in this lifetime is to learn the language of your own instinctual, intuitive nature because yours is the only counsel that matters. So how do you cultivate self-trust? You need a practice. You need a practice that works for you. And that practice might include one or several of the following. Is it a daily journaling practice where you can write down your experiences, your impression, your fears without judgment? Do you need to write a personal bill of rights outlining the truths that you hold dear? Do you need to write a bill of rights that articulates what you believe you are entitled to in a relationship at work? Or do you need to make a list of things you won't tolerate? 
For me, my list includes, I don't allow people to raise their voices with me. I don't allow scope creep in my projects because I have suffered the consequences of doing too much and having my main job suffer as a result. It is not a cute look. But back to the movie Gaslight for a second. Early in the film, our girl Paula has an intuitive sense that she needs some time away from this Gregory guy who is love bombing her with grand gestures and trying to woo her into a quickie marriage. And in case you're not familiar with the term love bombing, I just, I, I looked up different definitions and ironically, Cosmopolitan Magazine really delivered for me. Their definition is quote, love bombing is the practice of showering a person with excessive affection and attention in order to gain control or significantly influence their behavior. Be careful of people who are a little too extra with their wooing. It might make you feel special, but you won't feel so special once you realize you were getting played. And I know we're talking about work here, but I just, I had to say that out loud. Anyway, back to Paula. So Paula is so flattered and energized by Gregory's attention, AKA love bombs, but she can sense she needs some time alone to think and sort herself out. So, so Paula books a train trip to Lake Como where she can finally be alone with her feelings and her mind and to sort through and discern what to do with this relationship with Gregory. But the moment Paula's feet touch ground at the train station in Lake Cuomo, Gregory is right there waiting for her, creepy as hell. And the first words he says to her, darling, you're not angry with me. Gaslighting. And the spell is cast. Paula instinctively knew she needed to be alone, but she overrides the instinct and places herself in danger. So like Paula is part of your self-trust practice. Spending more time alone so you can hear the voice of your own intuition. Do you need to do some repair work with your own intuition? When I first went on my own journey into self-trust, I remember so vividly having to force myself to spend time alone and literally learn to walk down the street by myself and ask myself what it is I wanted to do, what I was hungry for. I was so used to asking everyone else what they wanted, what they felt like. And I'm sure that sounds crazy because now I'm 46 years old and <laughs> like that, I barely recognize the woman I used to be. But I used to be that woman who was very easy to influence, very easy to take psychological control over. And I just remember being very self-conscious as I sort of grew into that aspect of myself, I was constantly asking myself, am I okay right now? What's happening? I remember this happened when I lived in Cal Hollow district of San Francisco and I'd walk from my apartment. I lived on Fillmore in Greenwich and I'd walk down Chestnut street and I would ask myself, okay, what do I feel like doing right now? What do I want? And it was not an easy question to answer. And I would usually end up reading a book on a blanket and eating lunch on the grass at the Palace of Fine Arts. And I remember feeling embarrassed that that's really all I wanted. (laughs) I wanted to be alone with my book on the grass, but I was so surrounded by noise and other people's opinions and goals and agendas, I really never really knew what the hell I wanted. So do you need to do that? Do you need to build some sort of practice that forces you to be alone with your own needs, right? It's worth thinking about. So cultivate a self-trust practice. Figure out what that looks like for you. And above all, 
learn the language of warning. Another crucial component of the self-trust journey is learning the language of your own warning system. This is the language of your body that speaks to you in the form of nausea or a pit in your stomach or whatever it is for you. It's the thing that happens when your instinctive nature wants to warn your mind, danger, this is not good. For me, my language of warning manifests as a kind of silence in my body, oddly enough. I don't totally know how to describe it other than when I'm in a good, healthy situation or conversation, there's kind of a happy hum inside of me. It's like my body is filled with a happy buzz. But when I'm with someone or in a situation that doesn't feel right, everything gets very quiet inside of me. Like the kind of quiet you'd experience walking into a haunted house, kind of quiet. And when that happy hum goes silent, I know it's time to make a move. It's time to pay attention. So what is your language of warning? And if you don't know, ask yourself, when did your body know the truth of something, even though your mind rejected it? So that's step one. Cultivate self-trust by putting practices into place that work for you and figure out what you need and give it to yourself and learn the language of warning. Develop that rock solid rapport with your own intuition. Can you hear me? Like I'm pounding my fist on my thigh because I'm just like, so important. If you can get that self-trust game strong, you will be so much less likely to fall prey to gaslighting. People will still try. It's the way of the world. I'm convinced of this. It's part of the human condition, but it won't affect you in the same way. You'll know how to handle it, which leads me to step two, confronting it. One of the absolute greatest perks of having self-trust is that you can trust yourself to do the right thing when gaslighting does happen. But all the self-trust in the world isn't going to help you if you don't have a few go-to moves. Here are my favorite moves. There's four of them. I know three is better, but it's my truth. It's four. Like, whatever. It's four. (laughs) If you ever look at like teaching neuro-linguistic programming, they're like, rule of three, rule of three. You know what? Sorry, it's four this time. But what I want you to do is listen to these four moves and pick one to work with, the one that feels the most authentic to you and see what happens. Experiment. So move number one, call timeout. Literally make your hands in the timeout shape, which I'm doing right now. You can't see me, but I'm making a timeout shape and say, oh, hold on or hold up or timeout. And then offer some version of I just need to call a break for a second. Are you saying X because my experience has consistently been Y? Can we talk about why there's a difference here? Gaslighting is like a spell cast on the target, on the room. And calling a timeout is like calling cut in a movie scene. The actors relax and reset and the script is abandoned temporarily. It is powerful. Calling a timeout is powerful. In fact, God, I wasn't planning on telling the story. I'm going to freaking tell the story. It's my podcast, damn it. I remember standing over my father's bed in a hospital and it was me and the nurse. The nurse and I were speaking and we were kind of gaslighting my dad. I didn't even mean to or realize I was, but you know, he was in the hospital. He had just kind of rallied out of what we think was a mild stroke. And so I didn't really allow him to be a voice in this conversation about his care with his nurse. It wasn't like I was actively suppressing him. I was just being dismissive. I mean, if I'm honest, that's what was happening. And the nurse and I were kind of going back and forth with plans. 
And my dad, from his bed, fully reclined, called a timeout with his hands. He's like, hey guys, timeout. I'm sitting right here and I have some things to say. And that nurse and I looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, fair enough. And we gave him the floor. Sometimes the gaslighters don't even realize they're doing it. They're just trying to get the job done. And by calling a timeout, you give them the grace period of owning the fact that they're gaslighting you or that they're towing a false narrative. And those people that are doing it unintentionally, they'll snap out of it. And those people that are doing it intentionally will be like, oof, holy shit, we can't miss with this one. The force is strong with this one. So call a timeout. That's move number one. This move is very, very, very powerful when there is lying happening or when the rules keep changing on you or when you are being actively ignored or spoken over. Okay, so that's number one, call a timeout. Number two, give direct feedback. Again, this is great for the gaslighter that maybe doesn't even realize it's what they're doing. Ask the gaslighter if they'd be open to some feedback. If they say no, I'm not open to feedback. You're dealing with somebody who needs to be reported to HR ASAP. Seriously, that's a fundamental given that in a work environment, everyone needs to be open to feedback, period. <laughs> like, grow up. But we can get to that, a little bit more to that later. Everyone should be open to feedback. And if they are open to feedback, find a time that works for them. Don't like jump them in the hallway if they're not ready for it and give them the feedback. Start with the positive. Find one positive thing to say. Then next say, and never say, but because it totally dismisses all the positive you just said. And I want to make a request. You can say to the gaslighter, and I want to make a request that if you have feedback from me, please give it to me directly and in private. This is far more important and useful than delivering a sensitive message in front of a group. That's what I want you to say. This obviously is a play you want to use when you're being publicly humiliated or publicly dismissed or your sanity is being questioned in front of people because that public humiliation move is a real common one for gaslighters. So you want to ask them if they're open for feedback. You want to give them the feedback by starting with something positive, followed up with, and I want to make a request. If you have feedback from me, please give it to me in private. This is more useful than delivering a sensitive message in front of a group, okay? So if the gaslighter comes back and says, you're being too sensitive or some variation thereof, come back with this, ready? You know, I have found that people don't trust leaders that publicly embarrass other people in meetings. It makes people feel unsafe because they know it's a matter of time before they're the ones being publicly humiliated. So I think it's really in our best interest to give and receive feedback in private. And scene. And get out of there as soon as you can once you've made your point, right? Look, I know these are scary things. I know it's hard to stand up and say these things. And I want to offer you a sort of side technique that bolts onto this one. If you're finding these phrases that I'm offering you scary, if your body's like, oh God, I don't say things like that. I, I, I That's too scary. My heart's racing. I want you to practice in the mirror because you need muscle memory around speaking truth to power. No one gets out of this lifetime without learning how to speak truth to power. Or if they do, they die with a whole lot of regrets. 
So I invite you, if you are intimidated by speaking truth to power, practice saying what needs to be said in the mirror. What it does is it trains your body, just like if you're running a marathon, you would go do a bunch of running practice. Give your body muscle memory around speaking truth to power. Okay? So what have we got so far? Call a timeout. Give direct feedback. Number three, establish and uphold your boundaries. This one I had to learn the hard way. I had a gaslighter who kept moving the goalposts, so to speak, on a project. And I just found myself taking on more and more. And I kept thinking, this seems so outside the scope of my role, but she seems to think it isn't. And I'm not sure of myself and there's no time to question it. So I guess I'm going to do the thing. And before I knew it, like Cinderella, I was too busy with the bullshit jobs to get myself ready to shine in the project I'd actually been hired to do. And let me tell you, I did not let that happen to me twice. Once was plenty. And now I have a script, which you can borrow. And it goes a little something like this. Okay, ready? Here's the script. Look, I understand why X assignment is a priority. I really do. And given that my main focus is Y, I need to keep my focus there. But I'd be happy to tackle X in a few weeks or renegotiate the scope and price of the project that we're looking at. Right? That is an important formula, message for you to internalize. You validate that the assignment is important that they're giving you. You bridge to what you also believe, which is your main priority is what it is. And then you offer a solution, right? I understand why X is a priority. It makes so much sense. Given that my main focus is why, I need to keep my focus there, but I'd be happy to tackle X in a few weeks or renegotiate the scope of the project powerful formula. So if they come back to that and say, no, X is now your focus, forget Y, document it, send an email, copy the people that need to be copied, let the person know you're going to do it so it doesn't feel like an ambush, an email ambush, you know those, you know how those feel, aggressive BCCing and CCing. Send an email, copy the appropriate people, you know, blind copy yourself so you have a copy of it or whatever you need to do, but restate that the focus of your energy has shifted at this person's request. That way there's a paper trail, there's no confusion, and everybody's on the same page. Everybody get up. Make sense? Now, sometimes the gaslighter is asking you to do something that is so out of bounds, it's beyond the point of needing to be negotiated. It just needs to be shut down. Now, let me give you an example. Years ago, I'd been hired to support a very, very high-profile client at an event his org was hosting, right? And one of the people on his team did not like me at all for reasons I just still don't totally understand. But she would constantly try and deposition me and throw me off my game. And she was making serious and significant last-minute changes to this and that. And around 10 p.m. the night before the event, she asked me to be in charge of the playlist for the event, the music that people were walking and hearing as they entered the room. Now, look, you know what I do for a living. Making a playlist in on the list, right? I had already been dealing with so many of her gaslighting shenanigans at that point, but that one was a bridge too far. Building a playlist was so clearly outside of my scope of work that my message to her was clear, direct, and brief. I said, absolutely not. I'm focused on X. See you in the morning. And I walked out the door and back to my hotel room. Some gaslighting moments need to be gently handled. Others just need to be a bright line. Hell 
to the no. You know what I'm saying? So the same strategy applies for people who are constantly excusing bad behavior by saying they're only joking. In that case, I love saying, look, I don't allow people to speak to me that way. It's not a joke to me. And then excuse yourself. That situation doesn't deserve you. Hold up those boundaries. People who like to tease you in ways that make you feel small are actually engaging in low-key psychological sadism. Beware. I didn't make that up. That came from the brilliant Dr. Adam Dorsey, who I've had on my podcast not once but twice. So it's legit, psychologically legit. Okay, so that's three. Uphold those boundaries. Number four, and this is so boring but so important, document everything. Document every instance of gaslighting. Send yourself an email. Use your notes app. Use your journal. Just get it documented. We way overestimate our mind's ability to spot patterns and to notice disturbances in the force. Write that shit down so that you can see in black and white what is happening and when. It also boosts your self-trust to see exactly what happened. So those are the four moves I want you to play with, okay? Those are the four moves. But back to the original steps, we've got step one, which is cultivate self-trust, right? Step two, confront it. Step three, get support. Look, getting personal support is huge. A really pernicious gaslighter will try and isolate you, make you feel like you can't trust anyone or that you're too crazy to trust anyone and that you'll be judged or not believed if you go outside the gaslighter's control. Hmm? Don't let them do this to you. Find people outside the system who can help you, who can remind you that you're not crazy. Find someone who can evaluate from a neutral position whether or not your perceptions are accurate. You need people on your side who care about you, who love you, and who believe in you. And under this banner of getting support, also get professional support. If things are sketchy, you need a good therapist. They are brilliant at calling you out on your own head trash versus calling the other person out on theirs. They're able to discern the voice of your own ego versus the voice of your higher self as you make sense of your situation. But if you can, also leverage your human resources department if that's a thing for you. For me, I am the human resources department, so you know how that goes. But when you approach HR, use the language of I need guidance versus this person is a nightmare and is gaslighting me. Don't show up as a victim begging for rescue. Show up as a concerned person who needs guidance and coaching, who comes armed with evidence. This is key. I would script something like this to go to HR with. Hey, you know, I need some guidance in navigating a tough situation. I have several instances here because you kept track of X and Y and Z, and despite trying to discuss this with them and give this person feedback, the bad behavior is continuing and I'm at a loss. Any recommendations? See what HR comes back with. If they try and gaslight you and make you feel overly sensitive or crazy, then you know that this reflects a more systemic problem that frankly, you may not be able to solve. And thank God we live in a free country where you can dust off that resume and move on if things get bad. Because here's what, The Weinstein Company had an HR department, and they were on Harvey's side. Eyes wide open, people. Eyes wide open. Which leads me to my final thought here. No job is worth losing your self-esteem over, period. 
Of course, you should investigate what part of the scenario is on you and take responsibility for your part in the mayhem, of course. But do not stay in a situation where you're experiencing psychological abuse. Unless, of course, you literally need it to survive. I get it. But remember what's at stake here. I personally am a massive fan of Glennon Doyle. If you don't know her, check out her most recent book, Untamed. By far, my favorite quote of hers is this one. I will not stay, not ever again, in a room or conversation or institution that requires me to abandon myself, end quote. Friend, that quote should be at the top of your bill of rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident that we will not stay, not ever again, in a room or conversation or institution that requires us to abandon ourselves. Can I get an amen? And that is the gift at the end of the experience with a gaslighter. If you do the work, learn the lesson, and learn to work with and trust yourself, you gain a strength that no one can take away. You gain power. You gain presence. Why? Because you acted from integrity, aka wholeness, and self-love, and there is no higher vibration. And if after listening to this, you're seeing parallels in your personal relationships and not just your career, if your body is setting off alarms listening to this, get support, get help. Visit thehotline.org, which is the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. And I know that sounds alarming and scary, but it doesn't have to be. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Look, I don't know much, but I do know this. You were not born to take everyone's shit and question your own blessed sanity. You were born to bring forward all of the incredible gifts you've been given that the world so badly needs. You were born to shine. As always, thank you for the honor of your time and shine on you crazy gaslight proof diamond. I'll see you next time.